After watching this show for about three or four times, I can without a doubt tell you that this is the best pay-per-view of 2020 so far, in my opinion. What can I say? AEW did it again. Surpassed mine, probably yours, expectations of this show. Putting on an incredible show, and a lot of people claimed that this might be their best show in the entire history of AEW, and it's very hard to argue because... So many great matches were put on the line. So many great stories were told prior to this to this pay-per-view. And obviously there were some doji stories. But all of the matches surpassed my expectations. And it was very hard to do. And one of the reasons why I would say this might be the best pay-per-view of all times in AW. It's due to the crowd. You know, All Out and Double or Nothing were great shows. All Out obviously had Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara match that was that bring a lot of controversy around the show and downgraded for a lot of people. Which I disagree. I still thought it was a great show, but I can totally understand why you would feel uncomfortable out after watching that match. But they lacked. Both of those shows lacked this fucking crowd you know the emotions that this crowd brings and this show this show had it this crowd was ready to chant whole night they were screaming off top of their lungs even if the match was a little slow at times or wasn't that excited in the beginning and this crowd i can only applaud to them because they made this already great pay-per-view feel even better and i guess because we haven't heard an actual crowd for so long this the appeal of this crowd put over this show for me massively and i guess if we're talking about this show we should start with the buy-in and i'm gonna tell you straight away i don't think i will do a play-by-play review like every spot i gonna call no 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 it's going to be a big disservice to the show for me talking for about 30 to 40 minutes and barely remembering every single spot. So instead of this, I'm going to tell you my emotions from this match, what I thought about it, and maybe call some spots because some of those spots definitely deserve to be called. But instead of just listening to me, my rambling for about 30 40 minutes, I recommend you to watch the show. Yes, it was around five hours if you count buy-in, but it deserves to be watched. But once again, let's start with the buy-in. Serena Deep versus Allison K. I didn't expect a lot of things from this match. I knew that both wrestlers are great, but it's an NWA title at the buy-in. Why should I care? And to be fair to those wrestlers, they put on great technical match for about that lasted for about seven minutes long and in this seven minutes Serena Deep put over Allison K for somebody who doesn't really know her very well I've seen a couple of matches with Allison K but this match showcased her abilities and also showcased the abilities of Serena Deep so I think it was a very very good technical match that put over both of those wrestlers. And after the match, 
none other but Thunder Rosa appeared and actually continued the rivalry with Serena Deep, pointing at the belt, saying that I'm not down with you. And it's a great thing that she didn't leave NWA for WWE or yet for AEW because the partnership between NWA and AEW should grow and Thunder Rosa is a great bridge in those relationships, so as Serena Deep. But when Thunder Rosa's contract will obviously run out in 2021, AEW should be the company that will sign her up because they cannot miss, they can't be allowed to miss such a big talent. And same goes for Alison Kay, how I said, even though seven minutes, she was able to put on a hell of a fight and put herself over in my eyes. But let's talk about the match that opened the main show, and it was Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page. Are you kidding me? One of the most anticipated, if not the most anticipated match in in full gear, and you put in it as an opener. Wow, you need to have some real balls to do this, but was it a right decision? Oh hell yes it was. And a lot of us expected it to be a 30-minute classic, but that wasn't exactly it, was it? No, it was much more stricted match. And let me explain, I'm not disappointed by this at all, because they still put on an incredible match, hitting some incredible moves like that moonsault on the outside from Kenny Omega. Uh... And the whole story that they told in this match of both wrestlers being in a team for so long and they know each other so well that they can reverse near every single move. And it paid off. But what I mean by this match being stricted and different from what we expected is they let us see what those wrestlers are capable of doing between both of them. They put on an incredible match as an opener. But just imagine what's going to happen when they're going to fight for the AEW world title in a 30-minute classic with this hard, fucking boiling feud between both of them that will go for years now. Just imagine this. And this match definitely didn't lack... Uh, a lot of hard-hitting maneuvers or reversals because everything was in this match. It was just much more shorter than we expected and didn't have enough near falls. And speaking of near falls, there were three incredible near falls that made me believe that holy shit, Hangman Adam Page actually going to win this one. It seems like Kenny Omega perfected his 2.99999 kick out. Or we just haven't seen it for a while. That's why it feels so incredible to see this once again. But the match ended with the one winning angel from Kenny Omega. 1-3. He didn't even look at Hangman Adam Page after beating him. And went straight away into the tunnel to just walk away. Didn't once turn around to look at Hangman Adam Page. Saying that this story, this page of his history book is now done and over. While Hangman Page looked miserable as shit, he understood that he missed once again this opportunity to become 
the AEW World Champion, and he needed to be carried away from uh, the ring by referee. Mwah, beautiful story, beautiful match. Cannot wait to see more from both of those guys, and cannot wait to see another match between Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page, but now for the AEW World title. And how can you follow this up, this incredible match between those technical guys? Well, how about totally change the pace? How about a comedy match between Orange Cassidy and John Silver? Yeah, I think this will work, but the funniest part is, this match was actually very decent. I mean, obviously it started with a lot of comedies, hands in the pocket, showing off John Silver's muscles, being angry, over the top angry, when Orange Cassidy started kicking him with his lazy kicks, or when he started throwing a thumbs up, but after John Silver raped the pockets of Orange Cassidy, yes it did happen in this match, it became much more serious. Obviously, we've seen, uh, we've still seen some comedy stuff from both of the guys, but it became much more hard-hitting match from, especially John Silver with his incredible kicks, kick after kick after kick that put Orange Cassidy down, time after time after time. But Orange Cassidy still went up, K-pops, orange punches, you know, and so much happened in this match, but. I was mostly impressed by John Silver with his speed, with his ability to do those amazing kicks and at one point of the match he did an incredible move when he put Orange Cassidy on his shoulders, start to run around himself and then throw Orange Cassidy up, his spin in the air a couple of times and then fall down without any protection. It was like yeah, I'm gonna throw you and hope that you're going to land uh, relatively safe. And it was incredible. And obviously one-handed uh, gorilla press from John Silver was awesome to see as well. And overall, even though Orange Cassidy won, and rightfully so, I think John Silver not only didn't lose anything in this defeat, but also picked up a bigger fan in me and in a lot of people because after the match a lot of people were chanting John Silver and rightfully so. Great comedy match that established both of the guys, how can you follow this up? Change the pace one more time to the long history between Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes for the TNT Championship. This match this match is like a year in the making, if we be honest. Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes at Fighter Fest. The first match that put Darby Allen on the map. This time limit draw. And since then, they had four matches where Cody won every single time, but, but just by a nick of time. But just with the help of Von Anderson, or just outsmarting or being more experienced and putting on a roll-up or some other shenanigans to win against Darby Allen. It was a long one in the making, and did it deliver? Hell yes. You know, it started off and went for a while as a typical Darby Allen match. Darby Allen was worked, worked over by Cody, uh, Cody worked over his arm, and 
basically, we've all been waiting for those moments where Darby Allen will be, will be fired up to do his short but effective comeback. And this is exactly what happened. After Cody worked on his arm, he got a little bit cocky. Then Darby Allen decided to fire up at the moment, perform some of incredible moves, Yoshitatsu uh, rolling fucking move. And every single time it worked, every single time when Darby Allen popped up, I popped as well. Like, oh damn, he's gonna do it. Ah, damn it, Cody, why are you doing this even though you're one of my favorite wrestlers? Please let Darby win this one. And Cody did one of the most incredible moves. The move of the night, if you want. Avalanche crossroads. Yeah, crossroads from the top of ropes. Huh? Yeah, I was so fucking shocked when I've seen this. Like, what the fuck? It's the first time he ever did this in AW and probably in New Japan or Ring of Honor. And this was fucking incredible. But then after Cody went a little bit cocky once again, tried to go for a moonsault one more time, Darby this time went for him, put him in a sleeper, but once again was pulled off by Cody after he jumped over the top rope right on the ground. And when he decided to go for a little bit of a heelish tactics to bring his belt, which Aaron was not a fan of, saying, be more concentrated, drop the belt. He dropped the belt. Darby used the belt to his advantage. Go for a roll-up. Only two. Crossroads attempt. Didn't achieve anything. A sequence of a roll-ups. Roll-up, roll-up. One, two, three. Darby Allen is victorious. Darby Allen is your new TNT champion. And oh my god, did I pop for this. And some people were a little bit disappointed by this finish. And I'm really shocked why. Because if you're gonna look past on their matches, half if not more of their matches ended with a roll-up. So it only made sense to continue the story of Darby winning by the nick of time. Darby winning... Not because of his experience, but because Cody got a little bit cockier. But because Darby put everything he could. He didn't underestimate his opponent. He was going all in and he picked up a victory. And it was a nice to see as a visual storytelling that Cody, after he realized that he lost, immediately popped up to his feet, grabbed the belt from the referee, Mike Chioda, and just and was shocked while Darby Allen was... On the ground, basically dead, barely stood up when Cody demanded him to stand up. And it was nice to see that Darby put on everything he could. While Cody had still some fire in him, he was still ready to fight. And a lot of people thought that he's gonna turn heel right at this moment, so as I. But instead, he stepped on one knee and gave the bow to Darby Allen, putting over... The first ever, if we're being honest, homegrown star in a way that is a champion. And Darby had enough time to feel the energy from the crowd who screamed, you deserved it. And 100% he did. But after this, Taz appeared and cut a promise saying that it's enough of those emotions. 
act like you've been here before Darby, but you never did, so congratulations. But now, get the hell out of this ring. Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, attack Darby and Cody after a great match. And once again, throwing a seed that will without a doubt grow into another storyline. When after they beat up Darby and Cody, Brian Cage and Ricky Starks decided to pick up the belt, but both picked up the belt and didn't want to let go. Even though Brian Cage demanded basically saying drop it, Ricky Starks said, no, I think I look better with it. And only Taz, who grabbed the belt, could have stopped the inner fight between this team. It's a nice plotting device, putting over the fact that even though Brian Cage is an FTW champion, he still wants to go for TNT title. And he still have this story since Double or Nothing, this history with uh, uh, Darby Allen. And same goes for Ricky Starks. He lost to Darby Allen so many times, but he never once got over the fact that he lost to Cody at the TNT uh, match for the TNT title and to Darby Allen. And of course, he wants to be the champion. So it's a nice floating device. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen next in the TNT division, basically. This slash mid-card, upper-card, lower-card division. But it wasn't over yet because Brian Cage yinged Darby Allen into a full-gear poster. And they were trying to break Darby Allen's arm from a card that he put on himself. But Will Hobbs ran out to save the day. And the funny part is... I really thought they might do this to write off uh, Darby Allen for a little while, for a couple of weeks maybe, because would you be surprised if Darby Allen, after this hard-hitting match, wouldn't come up to Tony Khan and say, yeah, I'm the champion, great, but can we please break my arm just for fun? After watching everything that Darby Allen did in his promo segments with Steve-O and any other celebrities, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by any means that he would do some shit like this. But once again, great moment for Darby Allen. Incredible pop, incredible match. And the TNT title picture looks very, very strong at the moment. With Will Hobbs, Sir Ricky Starks, Brian Cage, and maybe some other wrestlers looking forward to get this belt. I cannot wait to see what's gonna happen next. And after this we had... Hikaru Shida versus Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's Championship. And, uh, you know, I've been very critical towards women's division in AEW. Basically giving up on the women's division. But every single time when I criticize, I keep forgetting the fact that there's still great wrestlers who, who can't put on a great fight. Which is exactly what they did this time. It was a hard-hitting match from a very beginning. They were going all out since the very first second of the match. And uh, I'm not going to go in depth in this match. But I'm just going to say this. This match surpassed my expectations massively. Obviously they had an incredible match at double or nothing. But it had some stipulations to it. Which made it even better. This one was so much fun. It was a good match, hard hitting, so many knees, so many great moves from Nyla Rose and Hikaru Shida. And they had this incredible sequence after Nyla Rose 
nailed a beast bomb and she went for a cover. It was one, two, but she picked up Hikaroshida herself. Went for a running knee strike. The finisher Hikaroshida won. Hikaroshida immediately kicks out. Being so frustrated that she tried to go for her own finisher maneuver. And then she nailed a falcon arrow from the top rope. One, two. Now she picks up Nala Rose. She goes for a knee strike. And here Vicky Guerrero stops her. And after this the match kind of falls down. And I thought to myself, this is an incredible finish. Why the fuck would you do this? If you wanted to do Vicky Guerrero shenanigans, which I think... You should have done, and it was a right decision to do it, you should have done it earlier because it took away from the momentum of the match. And the match ended like five to seven minutes later, if not less, uh, with Hikaroshida nailing uh, Nala Rose with another knee strike, one, two, kick out, and then multiple knee strikes and another knee strike to end the match. Not a bad finish, but come on, it would have been so much more excited if you would do this just with picking up Nile Rosa, hitting a running knee strike, and ending the match. Putting over the fact that uh, Nile Rose cockiness, Nile Rose self-belief cost her the match, not the fact that she was worse than Hikaroshida. And after the match, Vicky Guerrero slapped Nile Rose and kind of went away and Nala Rose just followed her instead of beating her up. I assume that this means that they have some sort of tension now in the group. Vicky Guerrero was so disappointed with her performance, but... I mean, it's great they're doing some sort of storyline in women's division, but... Uh, it could have been better. And it's a shame because this is exactly what we've been saying about the whole women's division in total. It could have been better. And that's a shame. A damn shame. But you know what wasn't a shame? The next match, which was the Young Bucks versus FTR for the AEW Tag Team Titles. One of the most anticipated matches in recent history of pro wrestling. And that's not over-exaggeration. A lot of, our, of us thought we're never going to see this match because one team was an independent Ring of Honor team, another is a WWE team. But here we are, full gear is finally happening. And unfortunately, the build wasn't as great as we all anticipated. It started off so well with this shenanigans with Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega. FTR being disrespectful towards them, winning the belts from them after tricking Hangman Adam Page to believe that they were actually friends. And then when they start to do their feud with Bucks, it all kind of went away. And because of this, a lot of expectations were lower toward this match. And it was a big mistake on our part because this match fucking ruled. Obviously, it started with the typical FTR mindset, 80 styles wrestling, grouting your opponent, working on Matt Jackson's leg that of course they injured. And we're bringing back the best meme when it comes to me, Cash Wheeler and Dex Howard working on somebody else's lack. Ah, oh, I absolutely love it. But if we're being honest and, and serious for a moment, this match never was boring for me. 
The first part of the match that they were working on, Matt Jackson's leg and beating up Nick Jackson, and then once again tagging Matt Jackson, not allowing him to give this hot tag, the best hot tag in the business to Nick Jackson, was great. It's a philosophy of FTR, and it worked. But then when Nick Jackson got a hot tag, he ran 100 miles per hour, and he was going all in. How many times did I already said this in this review? I don't know, and it doesn't matter because I'm gonna say it a hundred more times. And how would I describe this match? A love letter to uh, tag team wrestling would be an incredible fit because after this, he tagged Matt Jackson and they start doing a 3D and the Hardy Moves finisher with Twist of Fate and a Swanton Bomb paying homage to the teams that they were raised on, that they admired and idolized. But then, FTR, who always used, you know, Midnight Express moves and other teams' old-school moves, obviously the name of their finish is Goodnight Express, obviously homage to Midnight Express, they hit it one of the most unbelievable moves because... It, it was, it's a simple move, but nobody expected it to appear on AEW TV. It was DIY's finisher of an opponent sitting right in front of them in the middle of the ring, both guys on the other sides of the ring doing the typical poses and super kick with a knee strike at the same time. It was incredible. When I saw this, I popped so hard, like it wasn't enough for them to make me feel this incredible tension between them. Like it wasn't enough to make me so hyped after seeing 3D and Hardy Boys finisher. You're giving me this! Oh come on, be serious! And obviously, throughout this whole match, uh, FTR worked on Matt Jackson's leg, but Dax Harwood got his arm injured in the beginning of the match. And it's very hard to tell, was it a legit injury or was it a story? Because it tied in with the story so well. Them working on now Dex Howard's arm throughout this whole match, and that incredible sequence of Matt Jackson versus Dex Howard, where Dex was trying to beat him up, but his arm would give away, and then Matt Jackson super kicked the the injured arm of Dex Howard with his injured leg, just incredible. And once again, paying homage to DIY versus FTR. In NXT, they did the sport where Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson put FTR in sharpshooters, and that one was on the outside, another one in the ring, and they couldn't separate them for a little while, but then they did cash taps out. But Dex never did because Matt Jackson's leg gave away. It was so so fucking great. And then at the end of the match, Matt Jackson grabbed the chair, didn't use it. Flipped him off, put Dex Howard in a position for a melted driver, but Cash Wheeler absolutely fucking killed Nick Jackson with a powerbomb through a table that unfortunately didn't break. So you can expect to see it in Botchamania or some shit like this. But then, super kick Matt Jackson, super kick Nick Jackson when he was finally able to bring himself into the ring. Tech himself in the ring, made a two sweet said fuck you to Matt Jackson, and then he betrayed his philosophy, went and do an incredible 450 from a top rope, but 
he missed. And then a super kick by the injured leg of Matt Jackson ended the match. And when I originally watched this match, some of my friends said that, oh, this finish was a little bit uh, lackluster, you know, not enough false finishes, not enough, or maybe cut off five minutes of the match. And I was like, really? I'm not sure, but after watching this match two more times, I'm telling you, this was the best fucking ending they could possibly do. Because it didn't happen, Bucks didn't win because they were a better team. In fact, they've been worked over by FTR throughout this match. But the only reason why they won was because FTR betrayed their philosophy, was because Cash Wheeler Instead of putting this match to end with a super kick or with the Midnight Express or a powerbomb, he decided to prove to the Young Bucks that they can do whatever they can do, but they just don't want to do it. They just think that their philosophy is better. And this decision cost him the match because he got carried away trying to beat Young Bucks at their own game. And this was fucking awesome. Five, six years in the making, whatever it was, it absolutely delivered. But now, we can expect a rematch. And I can already see so many ways they can build their rematch. By just a simple, you didn't use a tag rope, or we're still the best team, with Tally saying that this happened only because they betrayed their philosophy. Or going in a much more different way. With FTR going to Japan when the time is right, and if the relationship between AEW and New Japan are actually very good, winning the belts over there and then cutting a promo saying that they're carrying those golds with so much pride, much more pride than Young Bucks ever did, that those titles might be the most you know prestigious belt they ever held apart from AEW Tag Team belts, and so much more. But we just have to wait and see how they're going to be able to bring this on screen and when they were gonna, they're going to bring, uh, gonna bring this on screen because it's not going to be a rematch that's going to happen next week. There's, there is going to be another long-term build towards this match. And after this match, we got ourselves the Elite Deletion. If you watched any of my podcasts, you probably heard that I said this match should happen 100%, it should be the Elite Deletion, and it should be great, and it was fun. It was uh, my only criticism towards this match, it was a little too long, and they didn't have enough shenanigans. Obviously, they fucking bring Hurricane and Gangrel, after all fucking people, to be part of this match, but I think they could have done a little bit more. Maybe if they were allowed to bring Decay, or maybe... Maybe pay more homage to The Fiend when it was the final part of the match in the garage and there was a casket, op- Sammy opens up, he hears the words, let him in, and he just closes the, the caskets and says, no, no Fiend here, no Fiend, and gets a super kick from Matt Hardy or some shit like this. Or, you know, you get what I'm saying. Or bring more of Sammy Guevara's YouTube shenanigans, because I think they could have done a little bit more for, with this time limit. But overall, it was a very fun match. From time to time, lackluster, a little bit boring. I can totally understand 
when they were fighting in the ring, when Proud and Powerful came out, when Private Party came out, I think they could have cut off a little bit from those moments. And even though it was still a very fun match, towards the end it became surprisingly serious. With Matt Hardy uh, not paying homage but recreating the moves from uh, All Out that made a lot of people uncomfortable, but now making the same spot with going through table. Um, now Sammy Guevara had his head bleeding after he already jumped through the toll ladder onto a chair. You know, Matt Hardy told Sammy that this is who you made me be. This is why I'm so ridiculous at the moment. And this is why I'm so aggressive. It's all because of you. And he ended this match with one of the most awful shots that they could possibly do by hitting Sammy Guevara with his chair while he was lighting on his uh, on his face. Very brutal towards the end. The last part of the match was so brutal that I've seen a lot of people criticizing it and saying that it was very uncomfortable to watch. And I totally understand this, but I also understand that it was the point. To sell the idea that this is who Matt Hardy needed to become. Uh, to basically make viewers... Un, if not unhappy, then uncomfortable, without a doubt. And just finishing this rivalry. And to finish this rivalry, they needed to, to make it so brutal and big. So, I don't have any criticism towards it. My only criticism is should have been a little bit uh, weirder, in, in a way. Either shorter. You needed to be either over the top, apart from the last uh, segment that I wouldn't change... Either cut some parts off. Then we had MJF and Chris Jericho. Our co-main event. Which MJF won. I'm going to go straight for the finish. Because I would tell you that this match was very much a disappointment of the night, if you will. Nobody really expected this to be a groundbreaking, incredible match. But with the idea that MGF put over the fact that he will do anything, and I mean anything, to win this match, we could have expected something more from this match. And even though I very much enjoyed seeing Chris Jericho doing Hurricane Rana or Frankensteiner from the top rope, landing a great moon, uh, lion sword, it was uh, still very slow. The crowd were not so into it, apart from the ending. So was a lot of us. And this match was pretty slow. Uh, didn't have enough action in it. Didn't have enough even psychology in it. And even though I appreciate the fact that uh, Chris Jericho hit it, a Judas effect right in the post, and MJF worked over his arm from time to time, putting over the salt of the earth, uh, and near making Chris Jericho tap out, I still think that they missed an opportunity of being more brutal in this match. And I understand that all brutality went to the main event, but just a little bit more. But the ending was great. The ending made this match worthy of watching for at least one time. Because MGF hit his uh, top rope finisher or middle rope finisher... He went to ask Warlow to give him the ring. He missed the ring. 
get a shot right in his uh, face from Chris Jericho, who grabbed the bat, tried to hit him, but instead, MJF flipped him off and fell down like Eddie Guerrero style. Like his still, how commentators put over, and then he rolled out Chris Jericho. Very nice finish, very smart. They definitely did anything to win by lying and cheating, but as I said, nice finish, very slow, could have been shorter match. Definitely shouldn't been a co-main event, even though the story of MGF and Chris Jericho was one of the longest in terms of actual build, because obviously we had Darby Allen and Cody goes for a year, Young Bucks FTR goes for God knows how long, but this one had the most amount of segments and actual build apart from main event. So I understand why you put this uh, as a co-main event, but still, a little bit of a dodgy decision. And then, obviously, we have the main event of the night, Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley. And this was brutal, going for everything they could possibly do. They bring barbed wire bats, they bring thumbtacks, they bring even alcohol that they raped on already scratched back of John Moxley after getting put through thumbtacks and getting nailed with some shots by this barbed wire bat. It was brutal and I absolutely loved it. It was violent and you could clearly see that John Moxley was especially the one who sold the idea that he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to hurt his friend, but he knows he needs to. That's why he asked every single time before he did anything. Suplex on the concrete, nearly breaking fingers, beating him with a bat. He said before every move, every big move, please say I quit, give up. But Eddie Kingston never wants to give up. He was raised to be the champion and he wants to prove that he is worthy of being a champion. And this was, it was great. It was great violent match that main evented the scene and ended in a such tragic way because John Moxley grabbed this already ripped off barbed wire from a bat, ripped it around his arm. He said, please quit Eddie. Eddie flipped him off and he put this awful looking bulldog choke on Eddie Kingston with a barbed wire around his arm and Eddie with blood out of his mouth and with John blood out of his face. You can see that he was about to cry, but he wasn't about to cry because he was, you know, suffering from this pain of uh, choke. No, he was crying because he knew it was over. He cannot beat John Moxley. He doesn't matter what he does. He just can't put him to rest. And this was the moment where he realized that he needs to break his promise to his mother, to everyone who he ever respected, he made his promise to. He needs to say those words. I quit. And after the match, John Moxley came out to see him and said, It's over. And Eddie said, No. It can be over. And he just walked away. Brilliant. Just fucking brilliant main event. 
brutal, violent, and so emotional. And after the match, Kenny Omega ran down to stare down John Moxley, adding this pay-per-view match that I think we're going to see a revolution one year to the reign of John Moxley, and this reign will end at the pay-per-view where he got his belt. Ah, oh, so much great stuff happened. And if you've seen Being the Elite episode that came out today, you would have seen that incredible promo by Eddie Kingston when he he nearly cried. He said that he broke his promise, but he will be back. And he will challenge for the title once again. This was so emotional, it nearly made me cry. And... Being a lead, uh, this episode had a lot of good stuff in it, like Hangman Page stepping into the Dark Order, pushing the idea that maybe he will join them for a little while and he's gonna have his rivalry with Brody Lee. But this is my theory, maybe I'm gonna do a completely different video about this, but who knows. Overall, great pay-per-view, the best in 2020, maybe the best overall in AEW history, but goddamn, it was brilliant. I needed this professional wrestling, this great professional wrestling in my life because I missed it so much. And thank you guys for listening for 40, nearly five minutes of me rambling around talking about this pay-per-view. I really appreciate your support and Thanks once again for listening, hear you soon, and goodbye.